Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast. On this week's episode, we hear part two of the Doc's interview with former Paisley Park sound engineer Scott Baldwin, where they discuss working with Prince on the Road and many other things. The Doc also discusses Tyka Nelson's interview on the Today Show and Entertainment Tonight, the Paisley Park tours, and the tribute concert coming up. And now, his best remedy for a big fat punk is Funk, Dr. Funkenberry. Uh, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a few things. I want to let you know right off the bat, thank you guys so much. We have 65 reviews on iTunes. We're needing 50. We're 65. Love it right now. We're on Google Play now, which is going to make it easier for you guys to find us, whether you have iTunes or non-iTunes, you have Androids. So it's going to be funky. What do you think about that, Chris, right off the bat? I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, we're we're trying to expand our world. We're getting in more and more apps every day. Um, I'm happy that we got on Google Play Music uh, for all the Android users or new Android users, which... Like yourself. Like a- <laughs> <laughs> the Galaxy. Damn. Not the Note, though. No, no, not the exploding one. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, and um, there's a ton of apps. You know, if, honestly, if you just Google Dr. Funk Podcast, you'll be able to find all of the apps that have all of our episodes. So right. you really, you can find it anywhere. Any any podcast uh, app or there's TuneIn Radio. If you don't want to download it, you can stream it on TuneIn Radio. Mm. That's a really popular app. And there's Podbean and Overcast and all right. these things. Stitcher, of course, and iTunes is great for the iTunes. And remember, guys, episode 23 featured the first part of our Scotty P, Scotty Baldwin interview. Today is going to be, or this episode is going to be, part two of that. Yes. But right now we have a few things we need to address because a lot has happened. And by the way, we're p- most likely going to have a bonus episode after the tribute concert Ooh. on Friday. We're working on getting some special guests. We're going to look at that now if they're available, but that's all it's going to go on. But expect another episode by the end of the week. Um, Exciting. Right. Yeah. A lot going on, huh? I think people are wanting me to get upset this time, and I think I've just kind of overexerted myself. But there's been a lot that's happened in the past week. First, um, you know, Paisley opened how they're supposed to. They have another permit for other dates to be added. I think it's going to keep going on, uh, that they'll keep getting renewed for temporary ones till the December um, 23rd one. I think they're realizing that the Prince fans aren't the problem, that it's not going to be them running across the street or the traffic, the freeway, and Wendy Williams, dumbass. Um, Let's first start with the Today Show, which aired first, but I think the Entertainment Tonight interview was done beforehand. Today's show was live. You had Al Roker kind of going around stuff, and uh, you had his other two sisters there, Sharon and the other one, and... When Al says this is their first time inside the museum, guys, by the way, they mean first time ever because Prince and Sharon weren't exactly cool. Although when Prince was growing up and wanted to go to New York to kind of try to make it, Sharon lived in New York, so he stayed with her for a little bit. But they had a falling out in 1987 before uh, Paisley Park opened. She sued him for You Got the Look, saying that she wrote it. And like her version was called What's Cooking in My Book or something. Aha. Uh-huh. And uh, he won, 
This is before there was cameras in the courtroom and all that stuff. He won, but they had a falling out. And yeah, he was closer to Taika later on in life just because of some stuff that she was going on. So they interviewed Taika for today's show. <clears throat> for Entertainment Tonight. Well, the Today right? Show. Oh, yeah. We're they did talk that. about today as well. Sorry. Entertainment Tonight was first, but it aired afterwards. And um, she said what we kind of expected her to say on the Today Show, that she was the closest one to him of the family, which she was. She'd go to Paisley's shows. She'd pay for some stuff, but she was there. He didn't kick her off the premises like John Bream in the early 2000s. Um, you know, she said it was tough for her the first few months. Then she talked about the doves and they weren't saying anything or whatever until his music was playing. So yeah. maybe doves are sad instead of crying and whatnot. Now that someone just probably scratched their head at me saying that, but it all makes sense. I promise. But you know, the interview today show like, look, she's not used to the cameras, whatnot. I thought it was great that she actually did get on camera. I was surprised. They they need to put her out there because yeah. Paisley Park needs attention. This is where, you know, side note, this is why I, I clowned on people selling the symbol t-shirt because these are conversations that we had that he told me how important it was to protect his copyright, the symbol. You know, I could say all mm-hmm. along, you know, trying to do him right. But these are things that he expressed to me that he would ask me if you see anyone using the symbol and even ask me for my own site. Cause other times he allowed me to use it, you know, please let me know. Cause that's my copyright. And right now what we need to do as much as we may not agree with certain f- family decisions about urns and stuff that we're going to get into, we need to make sure that Paisley does not get controlled by the government. So, we need to buy the official merchandise from them, whether it's a simple t-shirt with a better fly on it or just a simple t-shirt. They need the money. No one else. You know, he wanted me to sell music on my site. We still have that agreement in place of songs that he gave me. I'm not doing that yet because things would need to be worked out of how much he got. Now it would have much the estate gets. Right. I'm not going to take all the money for myself. And that's what I'm saying is we need to give as much money as we can to the estate, even though... Uh, the Graceland people get 50% right off the bat. We have to deal with it. So today's show interview, Classy did everything. Maybe Al Woker going, oh, it's raining purple rain in here. It wasn't the, the best analogy of it. Um, then the Entertainment Tonight interview a few hours later, leaking before it aired at night, where she kind of was like Prince, where she contradicted herself. First, remember, it took a couple months you know, she's just she's just coming to terms with it now. Entertainment Tonight, she said that, oh, you know, she's been preparing it for, for two years. And yeah, it was, was a two-word phone call. He's gone. Okay. And she said the reason that, that he said that is because he said, I've done everything I'm, I need to do. He told me that back in 2006. He said that to other things. That's why he did stuff like the Super Bowl. Like when I'd want him to do Silent Live for every new album he had out or want him to do Ellen, he'd be like, I already did Ellen. See how people would promote stuff where they do it for every album going on shows? He didn't like to do it. So that's why he would do stuff like New Girl because he's never done it before. That's why when he did these shows in France a few years ago, he was performing at venues that never even had concerts before. You wouldn't think of it because it hasn't been done before. 
That's what he meant by I've done everything. You know, he wouldn't want to do a Super Bowl again, even though he still had a plethora of hits to do because he's already done it. It didn't mean he was done. And I know there's some people that feel that he was ready. That's your own thing. We'll find a time. Apparently, if he was ready, he had he had time to make uh, approved T-shirt designs and mugs, but not time to make a will. <laughs> yeah. And all I'm saying, and then these other people like, how do I know about the emails and texts? Okay, they 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 will give you handwritten song lyrics. Stay cool. What you all need to do on this, right? Uh, don't you think they go like, oh, this is the last email that Prince sent. These are the last text messages of what he wanted for Paisley Park to be a museum. Uh, those aren't up. Why is that? And this is coming from Dave Hampton, who we had on, and other people that have said, I want to see if these emails exist in text messages. It's not coming from me, but these are other people saying, nah. And now let's go to the urn. The urn, we know... We talked about a month, month and a half ago. So these people go like, right. who does who does Doc know? How does he know this stuff that other people don't? I knew about the urn, right? And originally they wanted to put it in front of the elevator. They decided to put it in the atrium. The problem with that is that it's right when the tour kicks off. Right. It's right in the beginning there. They'll right get better. The and with some of the guys, especially how they were rushed and how to do more, um, and they, some of them still had the paper in their hands. Uh, they were kind of like, oh, this is where he's at. Pay your respects now. And it kind of caught the first few people on the tour off guard. And then people were like, I posted about the urn saying the urn is there. And people said, so what? You're trying to cause drama and all this stuff. All I did was report on it. Yeah, I said before the urn better not be there. Because before they signed the deal with Graceland, I heard that's what the family wanted to do by elevator and I wasn't cool with it and I expressed it because the Graceland people are listening to our podcast you guys may not think so but it is even Dave is aware of it and Scotty because verbiage uh, that Joel used during his press conference before Paisley Open he used exactly what Dave and Scotty said where he was reading something Hmm. so there you go but we knew that before where after I get a podcast I get an email from a lawyer (laughs) And other things about it. But never, there was never anything threatening. Everything has been, we're not, we weren't sanctioned when Prince was here. He knew that I was doing it. He knew I was starting up the podcast. In fact, actually, the first podcast we ever did was after the weekend at Paisley that I was there. And I let him know that this is going to be what I was going to be starting and what we had planned. And when he'd object to stuff, he let me know. When he was cool with stuff, it just happened, and there would be some stuff to add. Um, so the urn is there at the beginning of the tour. It's shaped like Paisley. We posted the photos through Twitter and through Facebook. It looks nice, in my opinion, except for the bejeweled symbol. I just think that it should be in his apartment. And, yeah, maybe when he was here. And, again, this is a hard thing because he's not here. You know, it's a family decision. They they said it that Taika and the nephew wanted the urn and they hired the people for it. Right. The urn isn't for Prince. It's for the people living. It's it's a it's a Way tribute. It's a monument. Right. So once you get over the initial shock, 
that it's sitting there and that it's in a miniature Paisley Park. Kind of, I you know, it took a few days, maybe a week. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, but after That's getting over silent. that, yeah, after getting over that, it is it is beautiful, and I think it's a great tribute. But putting it in the middle of the atrium in Paisley Park, it seems just a little at the start of the tour. Yeah. It's a little much. Someone said that figures would be something they'd sell a souvenir of. And I'm like, don't give them any ideas, which, well, we just kind of did. But um, I just I'm not so certain about that. There could be other ways to pay respects. And there's other people like on the tour after that, where I get past this because we've been on the run for a while. I just think it should be in his apartment that people can't get to. Or, yeah, Just or maybe opinion. at the end of the tour where it's something where it's well, because it, it should be an emotional you, thing. You know why they right? did that, right? Because no. it's Graceland running stuff and they didn't want to be like how Graceland was. So they flipped it because usually at the end of the Graceland tour, you see where Elvis is buried. Now oh. they flipped it. I didn't know that. And there's just certain things uh, that are that are thing of Paisley. They play videos that you can't see at the piano, the microphone, free yourself performance, which was amazing. I heard that's great. Uh, you're allowed for the VIPs. You're allowed to take a photo by his piano and guitar. There's some people that are upset about that. That's saying he wouldn't do it. I personally believe, well, he wasn't going to be playing that piano anymore. And he has the other one, the Yamaha one, which is what they put in the design. Because when I, when I was there before he wanted me to interview fans with the first ever guitar that he played on when he was a teenager and wanted them to hold it and touch it. And this was going to be on camera for the live stream for Third Eye Girl. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, on discussions that I had along with Trevor Guy, this is something that Prince wanted to have them to be able to hold the instrument. So I don't think the the photo thing is too much of a stretch. I know that there are some people that are upset. But it wasn't equipment that is being used, you know. So I feel $10 or part of the VIP and then you buy it on the little symbol flash drive. I understand that. I know some people are upset about it and they figure they feel that some guitars and other things should have more protection than they have. I'd have to personally see it. I'm not. Ready yet? Londell and Marone, they thought I'd be out there this week. And I'm like, nah, like, you know, that's what bothers me, I guess. And back to Taika real quick about the whole he's gone conversation. Cause we discussed this on our second episode ever that we did at the show, but maybe just cause people were in shock. Like I was there the last weekend of Paisley before he passed. I'm, you know, that morning of April 21st, I don't want to say the person's name, and I know that's going to upset people, but if she wants it to be put out, I'll put it out. She was hitting me up way early in the morning that we talk every Thursday. He's not picking up, and I don't think he had a cell phone still. It would be She'd be calling the main line at Paisley. She wasn't able to reach him. She was worried so I contacted someone who regularly bikes around that area about four times a week. How close are you? Um, because I started hearing stuff. And I went, unless you see ambulances or anything, I'm not going with anything. And she said it usually takes her 15 minutes to get there. It took her 10 because she heard the panic in my voice. 
She didn't respond to a text. She sent me a freaking photo and there was an ambulance. So I called someone who's in touch with someone at Paisley directly. She was unaware that anything happened. I go, what's going on at Paisley? She goes, what do you mean? I go, uh, apparently, you know, someone was telling me that they're not, they haven't been able to get in contact with them. And now someone's telling me they found a body. Like, I need to know what's going on. And she's like, let me call there right now. I'm like, please call me back. I'm waiting impatiently. Harvey Levin from freaking TMZ calls me. Just Jeremiah. I go, yeah, Dr. Funk, whatever. It's his body. Unless you tell me otherwise. Um, that's what we're going with. I call back the person I originally called. It has that weird beeping sound and lets you know that they're on the phone. The line's going through, but you hear the beeping sound lets you know they're on another call. So she's still on the call, and I'm like, well, that's taking longer. It's been five minutes now. It should be able to be shot down. I wait probably two minutes because I'm, you know, Harvey tells me he's going with the story in 10 minutes that it's not him, that, that it's him. Excuse me. So I call back. Line is no longer busy. Straight to voicemail. I go, crap. Because they would be telling me everything. They'd be like, oh, come back out this weekend. We're going to do another party. Everything's fine. Just like they did the final week. So I'm not ready to go back to Paisley. And I was one of the last people to see him aside from Kirk and Marone. And, you know, Judith was gone by the time I got there. Um, Scotty wasn't there anymore. Um, and I'm not ready to go back yet. So in a different way, Taika's thing. And I, I have nothing but love for her because she's his family. But that hurt me because my whole world crashed that day. Ex-girlfriends, ex-bandmates, people that worked with him were hitting me up. Is it true? That was hard. Um, I don't know what it is. If she was preparing for months, you know, saying that took her months to get over it, or it was a two word phone call if he's gone and she's cool with it. That's all I'm going to go on it. You know, for the fans, I hope the tour helps you heal. Uh, Chris, do you have any other details I may have missed aside from the purple rain room and some of the video um, footage they've shown that is unreleased? You kind of mentioned the sound stage, which I think was a highlight for a lot of people where they had, uh, I believe, two different stages set up. One showing the um, the piano microphone set up mm-hmm. and uh, showing the or showing the video and the sound is perfect quality soundboard sound and the video is perfect quality, I guess. Yeah. And that was really touching for a lot of people because that was the first time you actually see prints mm-hmm. in his likeness the way he should be. Not just staring at a bunch of clothes that he used to wear or yeah. instruments he played, you know. Um, but that in the third eye girl stage, so uh, I, I think that's pretty cool. Um, the merchandise, there's a lot of merchandise in the tent. We mentioned the tent. There's a tent outside, which used to be the entrance where yeah. we would go in and out to the club, right? Dude, just like other stuff, the girl shirts look amazing. That one 1999 shot in the purple rain, the baseball t shirts. Yeah, oh, I wish they made those. I want to start a softball team just to wear the shirts. Yeah, but it's for girls. I mean, we we they got to make it for the guys because those shirts are hella yeah. cool. The ping pongs are a good little <laughs> design. Isn't that crazy? I know some people. Hey, hey, you know what? Yeah, get your money. He liked the ping pong. It's just one of those little things. 
It's a little like that makes people chuckle a little bit. It's his sense of humor. I like look the merch. I'm all for because this is how they're going to make the money back. Right. And then people are asking me like, can we just go for the merch? I'm like, uh, if they're worried about traffic for the tours, they're not going to be allowing you just to go to the tent. Right. You got to go to the tour. But what would be nice is if they did, and I'm sure they will eventually online store. Online store. Eventually. I can understand why they want to make it for Paisley only, but have you seen the stuff that's already selling on eBay for hundreds of dollars? No. It's ripping off fans that can't go right now. That's why we need an online store. Is it like the pay, the 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 opening day stuff or just anything? Opening day there? stuff and a few other things. I saw ping pong balls already. Oh, wow. So they need to get it up. Don't get it up. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's just... Ready. I'm for the merch on that stuff, you know, and eventually they'll be able to do this. Um, it just has to be done. And it's other stuff that they were selling before that this could be us shirts that I wore of Danny's design and they remade, which I love. And Danny, Danny is, um, has another design on display there. So that's amazing. Don't know if they have Martin's work there. I know that LV's design oh, yeah. of Paisley is what they're using for a Paisley park official.com. Um, so a lot of good stuff. Yeah. In time. In and it's going to get, I'm it's only going to get go. better. That's the one thing I think for the opening week, it went pretty smooth from what yeah. logistically, I'm just talking logistically. And here's another thing. Like, cause so many people applied, but I think people applied for part time instead of full time. Apple one, which is a temp agency posted on Friday that they needed 15 people to hire for that night to do tours. So a couple, there's two people that know, but don't know personally in that sense. I love how people will throw out like, Oh, my friends here when you never met, right. if we're friends online, it's different. When I, that's why I say I, there's two people I know that I'm friends with online that work there. So you know that they're fans basically. Yeah. yeah. So there's two in there, right? Which is they're going to get more. I'm trying to help out behind the scenes with stuff to have it done right because I said I wasn't going to be there. Just like when people are like, oh, did a doc think so high of himself like he's going to do the wall or all this stuff. Like, look, just trying to stay in time because they're wanting me to be involved. I just don't want to be involved right now. And there's going to be different people involved after November 3rd. Um, I want things to be kind of more structured. And I do think the tours are going to get better. They won't need Apple One. Uh, temp agency to post about it and get them to work that night right um there is what uh one thing that i heard that there is a there's there are rooms that are themed for albums which mm-hmm. i okay that's cool that they group things which is nice because you can kind of get in different mindsets right. that's cool costumes of that era that tour that mm-hmm. album instruments um there's a room for the super bowl which i think really right a lot of people liked because you got to see him kicking ass. Why not a rock and roll hall of fame, you know, stuff like that. Maybe that'll Possibly. be one day. Yeah. But this is what I know that they asked me to do years ago is they wanted me cause there is a TV appearance set. They wanted me to put, cause I have other stuff. I have news clips. that are maybe like 30 seconds in length to two minutes in length of different things uh, from entertainment tonight from back in the day till now. Mm-hmm. They wanted me, his assistant at the time said that he would want you for Paisley all. And maybe someone can help me out with this in the future. Maybe we guys can do this as a project. But this is something that Prince wanted was to have every TV appearance that he's ever had playing a loop at Paisley. Maybe possibly for one room, not around there. But the main thing was 
is to get the cleanest footage possible. Because I know, like, say, like the Oprah interview I have, it's very clean. There will be other ones that New York always around that time of year had pretty bad weather. There will be, like, a little storm watch system <laughs> thing in the corner. We kind of need everything to be to be clean. He wanted a, a, a TV appearance set that was chronological. And like I said, I have little clips from other stuff. I'm sure other people had that. That would be anal. And they constantly said, oh, Prince would want you to, to send this stuff. or Because there would be like local newscasters out here um, during the musicology tour that were talking about how great the tour was and blah, blah, blah. So I let his assistant know. The next time he came back to L.A. a couple months later, he actually called Sam Rubin from L.A. to do an interview with him because of me telling that this local channel was constantly talking about him. Mm. And everyone on the set but Carlos Amescua, who's now in San Diego, he was the only one who didn't go to the tour and didn't understand Prince. He was a Chicago fan. So just interesting. But that's something that they wanted. Maybe we can do that in the future. Um. Speaking of things, just with the tour guides, they're going to get better. Yeah. And this is something I wanted. Yes, it's too soon. I 100% agree. But they're not using the MPG music publishing correctly. That's something that we are going to need Trevor Guy around for is because he was running that stuff properly. And, and it can, from what I understand, it can money. He's, he's there at Paisley Parker. We're seeing a lot of things, him and Kirk. Right. So... And, you know, Trevor after January wasn't exactly in the mix anymore, but I understand why they brought him in. They called sure. Kirk Johnson, Kirk Watson on the tours. And then someone told me a photo of Hannah that's around. They said it was Gwen Stefani. The tour guides will get yeah. stuff right soon. Eventually they'll get it all ironed out. You know. So that's the only bummer about being new in any job. So right. you can't blame the tour guides. They'll get their knowledge. They'll get um, their knowledge. Also, um, one thing I thought was pretty cool, we've really been talking about the fence a lot and, and oh. how, you know, apparently they actually set up a replica of the fence inside the tour. That's so cool. there's actually um, stuff that was on the, the fence after mm-hmm. April 21st that fans put up. They actually made a fence and mm-hmm. attached the stuff up there, which I think is a good tribute. And if you guys are there, get the merch. Just yeah. support, support stuff. the family. That's the, only, that's the only thing. I'm not ready for the tour. I wouldn't mind having a few of the merch items, especially the stuff that actually looks good on guys or a few other things. I would like more posters than what they have at just the park. I kind of, I don't know, just kind of stuff of him. And I'm sure over time they're going to get more and more stuff. Yeah. And they're going to want to change it eventually and start filtering things through. There's going to be a lot of merch. Is what about say. when they start cracking open some storage units? Yeah. They'll get they'll get some great stuff in there, some unreleased. Just like I have a chocolate invasion shirt. There was hot with you, twelve inches pressed uh, records. There's so many other things. I really like one of the things that we talked about that I love to see. But we I would want a company out to have the family hire him. But Prince was we were talking about a video collection of everything unreleased and released. Oh yeah. So I would like to see that come to fruition and. You know, like, look, whether it's Warner Brothers, whoever they're going to have, um, it's, you know, let's not worry about remixing stuff. I know that people were upset with Tyco where she used the word remix. It may have been, you know, a mastering mix or some other stuff. That's right. why I'm hoping it's not right. like. Not a uh, remix. Some, re, re, remix. No. Nah. Yeah. Some, mixing. Yeah. Again. 
someone's like Ty Dolla Sign gonna be on it or Waka Flocka <laughs> Flame. I'm like, chill out, man. Um, I like that Prince people knew like those artists though, and they weren't thinking like, oh, Outcast <laughs> or somebody. Although Outcast remixes of Lenny's stuff is actually pretty superb. Um, just those are things that were discussed that I'd like to see happen. But talking about that, next year we got Sign of the Times. It's in desperate need of a remaster. And I'd love for them to be able to get the rights from the company overseas to release in the U.S. and maybe sell it at Paisley or other things and have special box sets for it. Yeah, you're going to have to deal with Warner Brothers a little bit on it. I don't know if whoever is going to pay the most money is who I work with, regardless of how people feel about Warners. Again, what I do with Warners, I would not do what Prince did when he got the remasters back in a handshake deal. Uh, I'd have a few million dollars in advance given to the family, which would help out with the bills and other things and have some special editions made that, yeah, are going to cost them the hardcore a lot of money. But the main thing is, is that to get these remasters out and to help keep Paisley around for a while. Now, another thing that people talk to me about, because a concert is happening this Thursday. And again, we're more than likely going to have a special Friday episode with some special people on there. Um, I, a few weeks ago, as soon as the concert was officially announced, Bulldog Media approached me wanting to um, stream the show. And the thing is, is that John, who runs the company, who's also friends with Sam Jennings, probably would have gave them a pretty good rate or found a way to not charge. I put them in touch with Londell. Didn't anything back. Londell was wanting to know if I was coming out. And I'm like, why? That's the extent of the conversation. I hit them up again for the streaming. I know that with some of the bigger names, interestingly enough, they probably weren't going to sign the rights away to have their songs used. So I find it interesting how John Mayer has dropped out and Christina Aguilera is quote-unquote ill. The two biggest names on there when everyone else is mostly Prince MPG related. And I did ask, if you're not streaming, are you going to at least videotape or record the show to maybe sell at a later date or strike a TV deal at a later date. It doesn't always have to be live. There was no response back from that. They did say from the first time, even though I sent it weeks ago, the, the person responded this week about the streaming that it's there's not enough time now. But I sent it weeks ahead on purpose, gave them the deal wrapped up, where probably this company was going to pay them for the rights for it. Right. Um, so... I'll be making probably an official thing tomorrow. I'm just kind of maybe wondering if that's the reason why John and Christina aren't in it is maybe that the rights can be done or can be filmed at a later date. Um, but right now it's not looking like a stream yet. And I'm hoping that's going to change, you know, with all with stuff it was always last minute. So I'm hoping by Wednesday that there'll be a different answer. And that's why I haven't officially said anything, but right now it's not looking like a stream right now. It's not looking like a TV broadcast. So you're going to have to do what I advised you before during the Vikings halftime show. You're going to have to look for it on Periscope, look for performances on YouTube. Hopefully people are going to be filming. I, I would I would be remiss if there wasn't a bootlegger for old time's sake freaking filming the show from the rafters. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Yeah. We'll get it on YouTube and not right. pay for it. Again, we got to make sure the family gets money. And this would be a thing that I felt could generate money down the road. 
But right now, that's what I'm hearing. Tomorrow, I'd make it more official. I did say give me 48 hours on Monday, and I did see that people are hitting me up today, and it hasn't been 48 hours yet. Um, the concert, let me tell you something. I'm, I don't want to spoil anything because I'm trusting this, but Purple Rain is going to be off the chain. Whatever, how many tissues you thought to bring, bring twice as much. Trust me, because there's only one person that can sing Purple Rain and do it justice. And we're going to leave it at that. Ugh. And it's going to be amazing. You guys are going to get chills. That's all I'm going to say. And lastly, there's been a lot of auctions going on. I know that people are upset about it. There's one happening in L.A. soon uh, that has like one of his first guitars played with a Robert Whitman shoot that he did decades ago. And then a vinyl cover a little red corvette that apparently has a different dance mix version four different versions they're saying but there's no track list of it but i know that's true just because how i ran to that dance electric acetate that was a 12 minute version that no one knew existed with um different vocals and different guitar playing hearing winnie and lisa in the mix found that for a dollar 99 crazy so there is stuff like that that exists um but the artwork on it is something that Prince designed for Vanity. Had the little Prince dying in the heart, which it's my favorite item. Like I have an autograph from 1978 of the 4U poster from Prince with a dedicated message to, the, to someone dotted the eye with a heart. And girls love that stuff. But there's others. Hey, other there's things. an eye in my name. Maybe I should start doing that. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to get as much play as Prince got, but go for it. Well, I could try. There's an I in my name, too. <laughs> I'll tell you what the freed and freed stands for. If you're ready, ready. Anyway, um, these auctions, but there's like a check that Owen Huntsy first wrote for Prince for $100. Oh, that's cool. Ridiculous stuff that I saw. Um, and I saw that there you can actually go. People in L.A. will be able to go down to the exhibition for free and see some of this stuff. The so first definitely. week in November, right? I think right that was, was the date. Planning like a gesture. Great. Fantastic. Maybe <laughs> well, you guys would want to go on Saturday or Sunday because my sure. Friday may be busy. Okay. Yeah. Um, you got it. But, and now look, Prince's stuff is getting crazy value, crazy value. Versace experience cassette, which was passed out at other things and along with his P control performance at the VH1 fashion music awards, right. 1995. Wasn't it passed out at the Versace show? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So free. there's, it's not like there's five copies no, around. There's, there's hundreds out there. And it's a cassette. Mm -hmm. It sold for close to $4,000, which is the highest cassette I'm sorry, what? sale ever. $4,000. Pesos? No, dollars. Dollars. Cassette. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It kind of puts uh, the Holy piece single that I have and a few other things to shame. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, four grand. Thousand dollars. For a cassette. Cassette. That is kind of circulating, not in great quality on CD, but yeah, that's amazing. So last month it was the Camille record fetching yeah. a crazy price, and before that was the Black Album, and now Versace. Unreal. Uh, crazy times. I don't know. There's just some stuff that I just can't part with. There's other things that I would like to rent out to Paisley or have some agreement with that I think the fans consign. Yeah, consignment. But uh, we'll get to that in the future. Like I said, the tour will get better. I know for a lot of us, it's too soon. I understand that. For the other fans that need closure or whatnot without seeing Ashes or maybe with 
the whole reason I put about the urn immediately is that people didn't get surprised and a person hit me up on Twitter like I wish I would have seen your tweet before I did the first tour mm. because they were so taken aback by it it really bothered them and they weren't able to enjoy the rest of the tour yeah it bummed them out and yeah. I, I agree and it's so. from what I understand that kind of the guides doesn't help with that you know it's they're kind of this bouncy fun it's supposed to be this jovial thing and you start off with please pay a your gut respects bun- a gut yeah. punch yeah um, they'll work it out they'll work it out don't don't get it it just it needs to be done I still think it's too soon, but yeah. we look, I just, I don't know. You gave consent for t-shirts and mugs. Apparently your sister said she knew for two years we we're going to be here. Although I'm just saying, he said that all the time that I've done everything because people would say that for me all the time. He doesn't want to do this anymore. He's done everything. Cause I'd be talking about one last world tour, like musicology or even though one night alone was more of a world tour than musicology. He never toured traditionally again. And he would tell me that, musicology afforded me that luxury and the person would tell me all the time prince has done it before he doesn't want to do anything that he's already done he's done everything and he goes i'm done doing everything he was saying that since 2004 so not 2014 yeah way back home is a beautiful song but so is sometimes it snows in april which is hard for people to listen to and christopher tracy was a movie character that he wrote about so but doesn't mean that he was writing in 86 that's all I'm saying. I know people have their other theories for stuff. I'm not going to crap on it. Um, I just He was planning to do stuff at Paisley this summer, man. And not just these two. Like, there yep. was tours, but he was planning the piano and the microphone tour. You were going to have to come to Paisley for it. And he was going to be having dates set up in advance. Didn't sound like someone that was done with stuff. Regardless of maybe he thought his time was short and he wanted to keep doing more, but he kept wanting to do other dates. There were a few other dates uh, that he was going to do for the piano and the microphone tour the following week, which is interesting because people were going on vacation. And, and they were and they were also part of the tour Supposedly. you found out they were working on. He was working on a jazz album, the NPGQ, right? Which was the year before, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. And, yeah, and then they're saying the Rough Enough was the last album that he was recording. No, it's a five-song EP. Yeah. Five-song EP that my friend Chris has, not you, another one uh, that wants to play it for me soon and i'm more than willing to do it and um five song ep that was going to be exclusively through title and it has adrian crutchfield on it they're saying it's marcus anderson it's adrian with the vocoder right sounding like roger from zap right and that's not the last album he was working on we're gonna have adrian on here in november or maybe before adrian crutchfield the last album that prince was working on was not rough enough it nope. was an album that was completed that's not a five song ep that is entitled Black is the New Black. That was the last Prince album they're working on. And again, these people go ahead and attack me. How does he know all this stuff? How does he know all this stuff? Obviously, I'm still talking with people. And when I'm saying that these people can't be notified, I know it pisses you off. But that's just how it has to There's be. people that were there. Yeah. When they were working And they're on not, it. they don't, as Adrian said, I'm only talking to you because he trusted you. I don't trust any of these other fools. That's just how it goes. And I, you know, you guys can think whatever you want of me right now. I don't care. In the end, you'll know stuff. So um, it's not arrogance. It's just going on there of of knowing what he wanted and trying to do right by him on stuff. And he would be like, Rough Enough was not the worst <laughs> last album I was on. It was, it was Black as a New Black. And Adrian can tell us about cuts on that and other things. We'll be glad to have him on. 
Okay. I was just told. I was only trying to do 20 minutes now because our interview with Scotty is about 40 plus. Uh, kind of went on for a while. Sorry about that, guys. But we're going to get with the Scotty interview right now. Thank you so much for listening. Give us your responses on Twitter, the Facebook fan page. I apologize. Hopefully, yeah. Well, we're going to have a bonus episode on Friday along with this one. This is a bonus episode in itself. It's going to be one of our longest episodes. Hope you guys enjoy it. Chris, cut me off next time. All right. But um, much love, you guys. <laughs> Keep it funky. Here is part two with Scotty P. We're going to be talking about the One Night Alone era and a few other things. Enjoy. This is amazing. And part three will be even better. Yes. More better when it's wetter. Peace out, guys. Much love. Uh, and here we are again, back with Scotty P for part two of our interview with him. Scotty, thank you so much for joining us. I also want to thank Dave Hampton for getting us in touch with Scotty. Now, how did your relationship with uh, Dave kind of, well, the Prince relationship with Dave happen, come to be? I, I was uh, working with an artist named Maxwell. Um, He, uh, he's really, Maxwell was really responsible for, for keeping me in live sound. I had had a, uh, started my uh, career with Sheila E. She hired me away from Prince. I mixed Seal, didn't have the best uh, time out on seal um tried to mm-hmm. employ a lot of those theories that i learned from prince right away on seal and it didn't go over so well and i was a little disillusioned and so i was going to give up i was going to just kind of go into something else and not stick in sound and um i got a call from a manager in new york who said are you scotty p and i right. said yes and he said are you the scotty p that mixed sheila e yes well, are you the Scotty? Did you mix her at Tramps in New York City, driving rain that night? And I said, I don't, I don't remember. And he said, Well, my artist talked with you after the show, and he had he's just signed a record deal, and he's blowing up, and he's going to go on a tour. And he said, um, the sound guy um, that he talked to after the show, he. He said he he spoke about Prince. I asked him if he'd ever worked for Prince, and he said yes. He was just got done being his drum tech, and he said he spoke of Prince the way no one else had. He said he spoke about Prince the way that I want to be spoken about after someone's done working for me. Huh. Very cool. And 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 that was Maxwell. And and then I said no. I honestly I don't I don't remember him. And um, and so he he said well go out and buy this CD. And, and it'll jog your memory and call me back in an hour. And I did. I, I went and got the CD here from a, a store nearby, Cheapo. And I came back. And right when I saw the record, the back of the record, I knew who he was. And I said, I do remember him. He was a super nice guy. And he said, well, he wants you to run sound for him. So when I flew out to L.A. and decided to kind of throw my hat back in, back in the sound ring, um, the first guy I met on the, on the tour was Dave Hampton. And Dave was um, – he was uh, – as a favor, he was keyboard teching for uh, Daryl Diaz, the keyboard player for Maxwell, brilliant MD, and um, Maxwell's musical director. And so I hit it off with Dave right away. And Dave, being Dave, he is a very uh, careful and thoughtful person. He is never prone to panic. He's always got a lot of uh, A and B and C plans. He fit. We, we've it was a hand in a glove, so we got along very well on the tour. And knew we'd want to work together again, and we formed a, a good, um, positive uh, uh, relationship. And uh, 
so when Prince asked me in, I believe it's, um, you guys are stuck. You're so good with dates. I'm going to try and throw one at you. I believe it was December 30th of 2002. We were in the middle of one night alone. Um, or we were kind of in that era. And he said to me, we were at Paisley Park. He said, he caught me in a hallway right by studio C. And he said, um, do you know of anyone who can get Paisley up to date? And I said, um, yeah, I said, I actually, I know just the guy. And I, I said, he put in, um, he put in, uh, he's Herbie Hancock's guy and he put the, the studio in Herbie's house. And, um, Prince said, um, is he a brother? And I said, <laughs> yeah, it's Dave Hampton. Do, do you know him? And he said, no. And I said, oh, well, I didn't know it mattered. And he said, I'm just trying to help out, which huh. I thought was cool. That is cool. Right. And, and he, and I said, yeah. And he said, well, can he be here tomorrow? And I said, well, I, I don't, which was December 31st, yeah. <laughs> 2002. And I said, um, you know what? I don't know, but I'll, I'll check. And I called Dave and I said, can you be here? And he said, well, I can be here on the first. I think he came on January 1st, if I remember right, of 2003. So Dave shows up. I pick him up at the airport. I call, it was just Takumi and Prince at uh, Paisley Park. Um, we came out early. It was 10, 10 or 11 in the morning. Um, and I texted Takumi and I said, uh, I'm, I'm five minutes away. That was a pretty typical thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he said, Prince will meet you at the door in the courtyard. So we, we pull up and we get out of the car and, um, they didn't have all the black curtains around there the way they did for the, that they did in the last several years, right at the end of the A hallway. So, um, Prince just walks out there and cloak opens, pushes the door open in the freezing cold. And we walk in and, and, um, and uh, I said, hey, this is my friend Dave Hampton. This is my friend Prince. And they shook hands and we walked in. And Dave, I know Dave gave you part of the story. We, um, I don't know where we went first. I think we might have gone to the kitchen first or the conference room. I'm, I'm not quite, I don't really recall. But we ended up talking a little bit. And then Dave said uh, in his way, he said, I, I realize I'm not going to be allowed to take pictures here. But do you mind if I take notes? I usually, usually take copious notes. And Prince said, of course. So we started walking around and Prince, Takumi was in his office, uh, busy as ever. And Prince gave Dave and I, uh, and really Dave, a tour of Basic Park. And we went in almost every room. It was great. Um, I remember him going into C, into this control room of C, which has been various things over the years. And at that point was literally a storage room. Um, and you, you guys know, of course, of, of which room I speak. They're the basketball court right. um, control room. Mm -hmm. It's a great studio. It's got a great vibe in there. And Prince pushed the door open and said, um, this is a studio, but it's a um, storage room right now. And I remember being behind Prince and Dave and I looked at each other and I nodded to Dave, kind of saying like, this is the room. And and Dave was making notes and, um, and, um, and then we kept going and we ended up in A and Prince was complaining to Dave about the low end in A. And he just mm -hmm. said, I can't get the low end where I want it. It doesn't sound like I want it. So Dave said, well, can you play something for me? And Prince played back a somebody's CD. I don't know who it was, but he played back a CD really loud as he normally, as I said, listened to things. And Dave said, Scotty, grab the other side of that couch. And there's a black couch in front of the desk. And we literally carried the desk without permission. We carried the couch outside of A, put it in the hallway. <laughs> we came back in. And then Dave went into the, the amp room and he messed with the amps. And, um, he got a sounding great, 
right away uh, and markedly better. And we, t we toured, we walked around a little bit more, but then, um, Prince asked if uh, Prince said, um, we excuse us. So Dave walked out. I forgot where we were, but Dave walked out of that room and Prince said, um, can he stay? And I said, I don't know. I'll, uh, you know, I'll find out what his schedule is. And initially, if I remember right, he was supposed to stay for six weeks. I think it was a six week thing that he was sort of contracted to do. Uh -huh. And he, he ended up there for, you know, five, three, four, five, six, maybe part of seven. Then he went out to LA whenever Prince went out to LA. So he was probably in LA for a couple of years. Um, he did many, many years and uh, brought in all this great talent from um, the Quincy Jones camp, the Herbie Hancock camp. He, he, um, I know Dave discussed his, his um, digging into local talent here in Minneapolis yeah. and really and, um, seeing the flourishing talent, the people that could work with Prince and, 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 um, and he, he's been an instrumental part of, of my career, uh, because there are a lot of great, there are really, there are a lot of good sound engineers out there. It's, there are, and there are only a handful that can work on the toughest, we'll say, you know, top 5% of the uh, tours that are really tough, tough uh -huh. artists, tough artists right. uh, with whom to work and even tougher with whom to flourish as an engineer. And, um, and, uh, so there are a lot of good engineers. So I had the musical knowledge of Prince's material. And I had the technical prowess to get myself through any situation and make it sound good. But what Dave added was that there, so there's a musical and the technical, but Dave added that thing for me as a sort of a mentor of the relational. And that's so important with artists having the good relationship. Dave was the one who taught me to, whenever you're with an artist, he told me whenever you're with any artist, um, always had a pad of paper and a pen, no matter what. To this day, when I meet with the guys and, and I'm going on tour with the Fray, when I'm with the guys from the Fray, uh, when I was with Lady Gaga, Madonna, any whatever artist I've, I've been with whom I've toured, I have have a pad of paper and a pen in my hand at all times when I'm talking with them. Because when they're talking to me and there's something of note, I need to write it down. I don't just nod like everybody else in the circle. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <clears throat> I write it down. Hmm. And what Smart. it is, it's a, it's a subconscious sign of, of respect. Right. And Artists may not even know why they're doing it. I'm sure it's some business ta business principle and business tactic. But Dave it, it, it taught me it's a sign of respect. And even if you're drawing a picture of them, like the old pictures of kids who draw a teacher, right, with a funny face and arms out and a stick figure, <laughs> yeah. it, as long as you're drawing something, you could use it in that way too. But it's a sign of respect that you're listening, you're paying attention, and people will respond like that. And so when I go speak to engineering students and, and do classes, I always tell them to I ask him, are you writing any of this down? No. Okay. Well, how are you going to remember? You need to write things down. You're in the, you're in the presence of someone who has, has something to say and has been where, where you want to be. And I've never lost that. And that Dave gave me that as a gift. You know, that's uh, a lot of his architectural principles of how to, uh, conduct myself in the industry relationally have been, been through Dave. But it's, you know, I call him a sort of a mentor, but as soon as I got him that gig with Prince, or he got himself that gig with Prince, I, I was a conduit to that. But when he uh, thrived at that, uh, as he has, has with so many others, he, he, we became colleagues then, right? That's how right. it works. So you, you become a colleague then. And, and um, to this day, we're, we're close and we, we talk all the time every day. And, um, and uh, he's just got a lot of, uh, 
a lot of good things to say. He's he's always in touch with technology. He's always in touch with relations, and and he has a lot to say, as you you guys both know about the uh, the state of the um, the state of how things have been and and um, where they're going. Right. Okay. Well, we just want to give credit to Dave because some people were just asking, like, because they haven't heard of him, but there's so many people that are behind the scenes. Like myself, I see some people that kind of question me because I wasn't trying to be all out there. Like Prince would want me over at Paisley a lot, and I'd be like, I'm not coming. So I understand well, Dave, with someone like Dave that wanted to be more behind the scenes. Dave worked in secret. Yeah. Right? And he may have even talked about this, but when you're when you work in secret, people don't know who you are. Right. They wouldn't know who the technical director of Paisley Park was necessarily mm. truly it's not necessary for them to know that when you're at a live show and you look at the front of house engineer with binoculars right I can that's why when I talk to my technician out at front of house before a concert I always cover my mouth with my hand I always just like a mm. you see a catcher go out to the pitcher's yeah. mound right? right and they always put the catcher's in front of their, their mouth they do that for a reason because they know they're they're being watched by the opponents on on a TV screen, and <laughs> right, they can right. see what they're changing signs to. Well, right. at front of house, I always conduct myself in a way that is befitting the artist with whom I'm working. So a lot of those architectural principles of how to conduct myself relationally, I got from Dave, and that mm. that uh, is certainly uh, clearly carried on. And Dave Dave was a secret – He he – he was wasn't asked to put himself out there and yeah. hey man tweet tweet what you're working on you know let everybody know yeah we got new amplifiers in studio a it wasn't necessary so all the things the myriad of things did as technical director of pacey park and he did a ton mm. and he did it thoroughly he pounded new grounds in outside for all the studios to get rid of the buzzes he did mold checks every month you know in that sound stage that was always mm. a concern to him that that sound stage was so filled with smoke you know, it would get acrid. It would be so full of smoke that you couldn't see anything when we were doing video shoots. And um, and all that accumulates somewhere. And Dave would do mold tests of that every month just to make sure that that, that stuff. And that's what a real tech director does is is they really – nobody knows that building like Dave does. So um, uh, he, he is important. He might not be known to the casual fan and maybe super fans might know who he is. But he's, he's certainly clearly um, set things up for Prince to remain in an artistic state. That's what I always tried to do live is, is uh, and, and good engineers always do that. They they let they eliminate the variables, right? Technical people. We're in the tech. We're in technical support of the artistic endeavor, right? Yeah. So let the artists be artistic, and we will be technically proficient enough to eliminate the variables so you can be artistic. Yeah, that's what it is. And I so I would have all these different things laid out for Prince for him to do and ways of capturing on different types of media. And he just, that stuff is, it's kind of taught, but it's really just innate. And, and Prince always wanted a more than the concert that was happening in an arena. Prince wanted a concert that was happening with the people that were working with him. Right. I never say for him, right? With him. I always say with him. Yeah. Yeah. Not just Prince, everyone. We don't work. I don't, Maybe it's an ego. I don't, I don't consider that I have an ego. I, I'm very. I'm a very. If you know me, I'm very. <laughs> I'm full of humility. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but 
but I, I never, I've never worked for anyone. I work with them. They can't do what I do and, and nor can I do what they do. So we worked together and Prince was the purveyor of, um, he was the ultimate, uh, example of an artist desiring that everyone work in concert together. In other words, you don't just have a lighting engineer flicking on lights on and off, mm -hmm. right? You don't just yeah. have a sound engineer mixing. You don't just right. have the video people shooting it. You don't just have the technical support of the band members um, going out there. You don't just have the band playing. Everyone knew everyone's role, and we kind of, he always at least tried to achieve a, a symphony of sorts. I may be being a little bit too literal here, but he wanted a concerto between the technicians, the musicians, and the people that were attending. And he wanted everything to have, everything was a larger concert. Can I give you an, I, I, can I give you an example of that? Sure. Um, Please. The song, the song I feel for you, um, right after in, I think the Chaka Gon version, right? So mm -hmm. I, after the, after the line, I think I love you, what comes? It's a big bass line. Yeah, the bass line. Think I love you. Right? So live, <laughs> I would always push that way up. I would push that bass line just for that because it's a signature part of that song. So you can't not hear that bass when you think about it. For sure. And so I wanted to make sure because I was dealing with legacy m material, um, it, it, I wanted to be reverential. I work with a lot of legacy bands, Madonna and Earth, Wind & Fire. And oh, wow. um, huh. Gaga was just building her legacy. But Earth, Wind & Fire and Madonna are good examples because you can't have Borderline playing and not have – Right, that bass line pump in there, and and that kind of production, um, that Niall, you know, you have to follow that sort of blueprint that's there, unless an artist makes an intention on doing it conceptually different than the record. So we always go, I always go off the record. I'll mix it like the record, unless you tell me differently. And right. sometimes Prince would do that. He'd say, I want to get more aggressive here. Or I want to do this, I want to pull back and make this sexy, or I make that smoother. Can you really wet that up? And he had his ways of describing things, and I understood how to make technical moves based on his artistic statements, right? So we were definitely in concert together as his longest standing uh, front of house engineer. Um, and the, that, that, uh, that work, I don't really have to pound my hand down and say, I did this. My work, you know, it kind of speaks for itself over oh, those sure. years. Right. So you, yeah. you know, you, I don't have to defend my work. My work defends me. And he had a lot of good people around him. And um, some of whom uh, truthfully didn't get a chance to really show what they had. And, um, and others did, but in the Chaka Khan tune, he, I, he would say, um, what did he say? He called me to the dressing room. I knocked on it. Knock, knock, knock Scotty. Right? And then he would say, come in. And I came in. Somehow I heard that voice. I don't know. It was super low, but I heard the come in. And so I went, I would go in and he said, he was watching the video back. Of course, right after the show, he's watching the entire video back on his screen in the, in the dressing room. And he said, how are you getting the instruments to turn up when they're on the screen? Is that you or is that automatic? And I said, no, it's me. And he said, why are you doing that? And I thought I was in trouble. I said, well, when people come into a concert, once they see you physically, their eyes on you, then they look up at the screen. And they watch the screen for a lot of the show because we live in an age of magnification. People want to see a magnified image. Yeah. 
Okay. So I said, if, if, if it cuts to Mike Scott, I'm going to turn up guitar for a little bit until he's off the screen just to follow that. And so he said, cool. Um, and the way he, the way he, um, would, would make a change that was going to stay, he would, he would say it to me, um, can we write that in? And I said, mm-hmm. okay, can we write that in, man? Means can we make this change permanent? Yeah. Right. right. So I said, right. okay, man. And then in true fashion, I turned around and just walked out. Well, I, <laughs> I took it on myself then as I was thinking about it the next day, I thought, you know what? Let me, let me tell the video director, Kate, let me give her some clues as to what's going to come up. Cause I see different things every night on those screens. So I went to Kate, who's a great director, Kate Twitchell. And I said, Hey, Kate, um, and I feel for you after, after the line, I think I love you. Can you cut to Rhonda? And she said, what for? And I said, cause there's a bass part. Just what is it again? I said, okay, <laughs> I feel for you. As soon as you th- hear, I think I love you. Just think of Rhonda and just your love for Rhonda. Just turn the camera on her, on Rhonda for that next line. Hmm. And it worked because the next night, is I think I love you, and there's Rhonda, right? Yes. And so what what I was doing was taking print the inspiration that I got from Prince and understanding him and having intimate knowledge of the material, <clears throat> and helping the light the video people be more in concert with what we were doing out there, right? So then we're all in concert. Then you have video people doing things with lighting people. And lighting people doing things with sound and everybody starts to create this concert. And Prince was a keenly, he was acutely aware of the effect of all departments working together. Oh, sure. It was, yeah. it's something that you'll never hear. You probably wouldn't hear it from musical directors from Prince. You probably wouldn't hear it from, you know, oh, support staff. But I was there over a long enough period, you know, over 20, I think we figured out 26 or 27 years and through different formations of bands that I was able to detect that that's what he was doing. He was always trying to make a unified whole that was greater than just, well, as it says, the sum of its parts, something that was greater than the sum of its parts. And he was aware of that. He knew that he knew how the effect would be. Um, and he doesn't get enough credit for that. He gets credit as in a, in a sort of a, an ancillary way where people say, Oh, Prince, great live performer, the the greatest, but they don't know why they can't really explain why. Yeah, and, it's and because he from, understood lighting. He understood video support. And he understood coming, sound and impact. Um, I was going to say, from a from a fan's point of view, you know, he let he let a lot of fans into sound checks, and that's about as close as we would get to seeing kind of behind the curtain and seeing that behind the scenes and seeing how everything sounds. But that doesn't even scratch the surface of what you were talking about. You know, with the video and concert with the sound and concert with, you know, all the different parts of it. And they have people now, the, they have show directors, right? Jamie King, they've got a lot, they've got, they've got good people who do, who are show directors. They put the whole show together for big, usually single solo artists. Right? They put this giant show together and they right. have a vision. They talk to the artist and they say, what are you trying to say here? What's the overarching thing are you saying something in the whole show or is this about women or is this a political thing is this right and Mm -hmm. in gaga's case is this about monsters or is this about bloodletting or whatever it is and you then they can write a script and actually make it into a show and so it's it's gotten better over the years but it, it wouldn't be where it is without chris and without how he knew how to 
dramatize a show and have every, all the departments working together. Right. Now, about the live performances, and of course, there's so much studio stuff, but I think this is one of the reasons why he's the most bootlegged artist in history is just, you know, even even if, say, the set list wasn't that different show to show, which it was, there'd always be different things that made the show unique. And I think that's one of the reasons, aside from all the studio stuff and outtakes, the live performances is what keeps people looking and kept him the most bootlegged artist in history. Yeah, I look at bootlegs as being, in in a sense, the most the ultimate compliment mm-hmm. because people are so thirsty for what that artist has to say that they uh, they want to they want to just be enveloped and and sort of bathe in every different way that someone could do a song and they want different versions and they um, want they're interested and in, intrigued in all the material. Um, Prince uh, told me a few years ago that he, uh, all the best stuff we were in the, uh, oh, it's just four years ago now, almost, almost, uh, to the week that he said all the best stuff, um, during the purple rain era, I didn't give Warner brothers. It's down there. And he sort of it. pointed in the, the direction of the vault. Mm-hmm. Cause if you're sitting at the head of the table in the, in the uh, conference room, the the vault is is to your left. And so he said, all the best stuff is down there. Right. Meaning he didn't give all the best stuff. So, of course, that sort of, I mean, I had a direct anecdote from him to me. But he, he, he was just, he could come up with so much stuff that you, you could spend the next, and we probably will spend the next 30 years, um, uncovering it all and people are thirsty for it and it's not just because it has a great groove or that it's sexy or that it you know all the there's a lot of there's a lot of typical reasons i think he, he just had a, a a way of reaching an emotional depth and width to his material that um was it was a connectedness and um people can relate not all of it there's stuff that shouldn't have been made right right but but right. there but uh it, there's there's when you when when a when a baseball when a great hitter hits a pitch in the perfect way they'll tell you if you ask them they said i didn't even feel it hit the bat it felt like butter right mm-hmm. and he had prince had many 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 songs if not albums that i'm sure to him felt like butter they just right. hit they're timeless in their production um you can listen to Purple Rain today, the the record, and the and it feels fresh. I think it does. Sign of the Times is another one that has such a different, unique sound that mm-hmm. it's sort of timeless. Because norm, everything else uh, in that era had this uh, DX7 sort of roadsy, belly road sound, and and you immediately go, ooh, you know, and right. it all sounds like a David Foster production. <laughs> so it it has a time to it, but but. Um, uh, what year was uh, Sign of the Times? 87. 87. So it sounded totally unique, and he just he knew how to get it out. He had a lot of butter. He had a lot of uh, yeah, he did. A lot of records and songs that, that were just totally butter. As he would say, ain't nothing but a muffin. Got a Got lot of butter, butter to go. go. <laughs> <laughs> now, a question about the vault, just because out of curiosity, because I know Takumi's been there. Have you ever been in the vault? Oh yeah, several times. I was probably in there a dozen times. Um, it was always when I was a drum tech. Never, 
as an end. I don't ever remember going, you know, that's not true. I remember putting a box of dats down in the vault. So I know, and they were my, they were recordings. So it was after he had released one night alone live and <clears throat> I got asked to put the, put all these in the vault. So I don't even remember who let me in there. Somebody let me in. I didn't have access to it myself, but I brought a box, a cardboard box with all these dats from the tour down and just put them on a shelf in the vault. But as a drum tech, I was in there, uh, I wouldn't say regularly. I was in there, oh, at least a dozen times because I would have to, I was the guy who would have to go down. Prince had asked me to go get the tracks from a song that he wanted to play live. And the first time I had been in the, I had ever been in the vault, he wanted to do the song Sign of the Times. Hmm. Okay. Wow. So he was going to do that live. And he said, um, Scotty, can you go get the um, <laughs> tracks from Sign of the Times, the drum tracks from Sign of the Times? And I said, okay. And he said to me, he said, there's something on channel 12. This, I'll never forget it. There's no. something on channel 12 that you might want to get to. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Or on track 12. So I think it was only a 16 track. I think that record might have only been cut on 16 tracks. Right. Maybe 24, but it was, hmm. there were not a lot of faders pushed up on that session. So an engineer took me down there, went in, pulled sign of the Times Master, went up in, I think B. I don't think it was A. I think it was B. We put it on the machine and we, you know, and I would listen to the different sounds. I'd push up channel one, channel two. Okay, that's this, this. Oh, there. There's the Lin machine right there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the Lin. And <clears throat> I had to get those congas. There were conga. Uh, there, you know, that, that right? That mm-hmm. sound in Sign of the Times. It's such a signature sound. I, I never knew what it was until I figured out it was the Lin machine. It was the Lin, the LM1. It was a conga tuned, tuned way up. So I had to grab those, um, and uh, you just I just grabbed the loops, right? Whatever the loop was, the groove was. We try and assimilate that in the studio, and then grab some of that recording, and then take it back and put it in the sampler. Right. And and then Michael at that time Michael Bland would um, would start the loops. But yeah, I was in there a bunch, but um, it was a long, long time ago. I'm sure it's changed. A little. Dave would be a better uh, guide as to that's why we have both you guys on. We're going to have that for sure. Now, another thing that's of interest to me um, was his gun microphone over the years, ever since he introduced it back in kind of like the diamonds and pearls era. Now I know the musicology one, he kind of brought that back after retiring it for a few years. How did that gun mic came to be for come to be for the musicology tour? um, He, he brought that up in, we had many discussions at the front of house console <clears throat> and I was, I think, I think smart enough, maybe uh, just, I was just using instinct, but I rarely left my desk, right? I would just stay at the desk because it was sort of a position of authority in a way. And it's sort of, I would just, it garnered, uh, there was a reason that I would just stay right there. So I didn't leave the desk a lot in rehearsals and um looked at it as my sort of literally my desk and um it so he would come over and we'd have discussions about stuff and then he said oh we might want to get a gun mic made for this tour Uh and um and and you guys we were going to leave in two or three days (laughs) of course (laughs) that's how that's how he works right right but so it didn't surprise me now it surprised me that i could get it done but um what i did was i i said okay cool and i wrote it down right and then um, I went and took the old Sony, the old 
um, the old gun mic with the, the full circle on it. Right. And I took a picture of it and then I took a picture of it with my hand on it. Um, we're holding it. And then I took a picture of it with a ruler next to it. That was a really bright idea that I didn't know would pan out perfectly. But, and then I faxed that to the sound company and I said, is there any way you could make a version of this that would fit the current mic? Because the current mic does not fit in this one. This one has a full hole and we can't just cut it. I mean, this mic won't go anywhere near, it goes almost through it, through the hole. And the sound company owner is, is a guy who is used to getting things done. And he, um, uh, Tom Arco said to me, yeah, I can get it done. You know, I think my brother-in-law or somebody is a fabricator. They can laser cut it with aluminum block. And I said, uh, okay. And he said, when do you want them? And I said, when, like right now, can you get them like this moment? And he said, oh, okay. Well, so they made three. He said, how many do you want? And I said, make two. You know what? Make three. And just in case. So he made three. And they laser cut them with aluminum block. I went out and bought Beretta gun. The guy called me and said, hey, what kind of gun handle are you going to put on? I said, I don't know. He said, get a Beretta handle. Huh. So I went to a gun store in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. I bought three Beretta gun handles. And they counter to counter back when that was a thing, counter to counter. You could, I don't know, maybe you can still do it. It's probably called Delta Dash now or something. You you could take a box up to the counter and say, I need this immediately in two hours to be in you know Phoenix or whatever. And uh-huh. And they shipped it from Cleveland, and it got there the next morning. Cool. Wow. Um, Very cool. So I had three of these things, three of these aluminum block handles, and I, it was it was perfect. I screwed the handle on; it went right into where they put it, and um, or where they had the holes. Everything was great. And so then I thought, well, I have to paint them, so I put them on hangers on clothesline in my backyard, and I primed them, and then I I. Um, painted two of them uh, metal tone uh you know black hammer tone color and then right. the third one i saved i didn't do anything with it because i knew we needed a gold one and i found a plater in uh, st paul and had that one made in a day and so within two days i had the gun mics all laying there so wow That's he so walks cool. up to my desk and i'm thinking touchdown hmm. right of course clean jersey touchdown <laughs> and he comes up and he said um uh he said um i got the bill for your mics oh no and i said okay um, why'd you get three and i said well because we have a main gun mic and then a black one then we've got a i made a gold one for you and then i have a black up a, a backup black one as a spare what's wrong with just a main and a spare and i said well well the spare is a full other input on the desk it's a main input and then there's a spare mic that's its own input and then i've got the gold one and he said no see scotty if it's if it's my money you just go spend it right just spend it <laughs> but if it's your money and here's the thing you guys i never this is 2004 i never had a check who had a checkbook who has a checkbook anymore right yeah I, I happened to have my checkbook in my back pocket because I was writing, I was going to buy a Nissan sports car that day. Mm, so wow. after rehearsal, I was going to go write a check, right? And buy this car. So I happened to have my checkbook in my back pocket and I got such a stiff upper lip that I pulled my checkbook out and whacked it down on the soundboard and opened it. And I started to write, I said, 
I'm gonna and they were nine hundred bucks a piece, so it was twenty seven hundred dollars for these three, uh-huh. <laughs> these three gun handles, and I I started to write prints on the two you know pay <laughs> to pay the to order of, yeah. and right. I wrote really big. I wrote print, and as I was writing it, he said, "No, it's cool. I, I'll cover you," and then spun around and walked away. Nice power move. And mm-hmm. Yeah, total power move. It was great. <laughs> I think he had blue on too, which is perfect. Um, but so. I should have kept that check. It's pretty funny. I, I think I wrote P-R-I-N, and that's as far as I got. Yeah. But I wrote 900 first, and I, I started to write started to write prints. And, and that, you know, because sometimes he would, you know, he would drive everybody to make a comment. There was always, there was a comment at some point. Everybody had their little limit. But I just thought, man, I just, in, two, in 48 hours, you have three brand new mics made up out of nothing. And, um... But that was that was the case. That's when you get really good. He got he made people really good at stuff and really fast. And you guys know about the production triangle. You know the the principle of the production triangle. No, not really. It's well, called right. cheap, fast, and good. Right? <laughs> you can you can have two. You can never have all three. You want it cheap and fast. It's not going to be good. Right. You want it cheap and good. It's not going to. It's going to take time. Yeah. Right. You can have it fast and get, right. You get it. Right. So you're always missing one of those elements. Well, Prince was as close as I've ever personally experienced to having to make everything cheap, fast, and good. And more often than not, he 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 got that somehow. He got that through you know through through whatever means he he tended to get that. And then when you have people like Dave Hampton who are good at at knowing what's coming, you know you can prepare for some of this stuff. The gun mic I couldn't have prepared for, but he. He used that gun mic to great effect. And then I think the reason he never, I don't think it came out after that, did it? After musicology? I don't think he used it much. If at he all, he might have. Times, but, but not not as much as he did really, on that yeah. tour. But he I'm did sure, you know, near the end when you start singing songs of, you know, Baltimore and things, it, it, it just, it would have been in poor taste. And he was, yeah. he was sensitive to, to that kind of stuff. He, I, that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have made another appearance. But, um, but you know, um, it seems like Prince really did, I mean, he commanded the respect of his staff. That's what Dave really iterated. And and you kind of stepped up your game because of that respect. And Prince seemed like he demanded the best out of his staff. And you guys really did, you know, go above and beyond. I mean, just that gun mic story, that's that's a prime example. It, I don't know if he was cognizant of his – he probably was. He's, he, he had a really high awareness uh, quotient. Right. He knew the effect he had. He could play that yeah. effect very, very well. Um, and he knew how far he could push everybody, I'm sure. Each sure, individual person, sure. too. And, I, and um, I mean, I mean, not just with staff, but with the the uh, the Grammys or Oscars, whatever it was, where someone literally got on a plane with a cane to fly out there so he could do the show with a cane. I mean, he that wow. that's. So mm-hmm. someone actually put a cane in the overhead and flew out there for a show. I mean that just so he could have it for for the Grammys or Oscars. So it it was um, he was fully aware. He was always aware. He had a huge awareness quotient, I call it, and he was aware of the effect he had on people, and he used it to his advantage as anyone uh, really would. Um, and and he used he used it for for to pull the best out of staff for sure. And it drove some people crazy. I mean it it. Um, because he didn't, he could he could disappear out of a rehearsal, and the band would literally be in the middle of a jam, and he would just walk out of the room, and twenty minutes later, Kim 
at least when I was drum teching in the early 90s, she would walk back in and just say, um, hey, guys. Yeah, he's gone. And you they would just, oh, playing. and you know what, you know what the best testimony to that, that they would still end on the, on the one, on the one. Yeah, would, That's right. They'd be jamming. Gosh, it's too, hey guys, he's gone on the one. <laughs> so they would, they still made it funky. Classic. And that's, uh, those See. kind of things. If, if people paid attention on the staff and in the band, if they really paid attention, the things that he taught were sort of, you can, you can. This argument could be made for any genius, right? Whether it's an uh, an, an architectural genius like Frank Lloyd Wright, or, or a, a, a Prince is a musical genius, or, or any genius, uh-huh. right? You, the the principles they teach, you can directly pull out of that, um, the that uh, and, and apply those principles to another thing in life, and they and they make and they make total sense. Right. That's what people really know what they're doing. Those things that they teach are applicable to many different facets of life, and they still apply and and are effective. And he had that sort of far-reaching effect with his music. Definitely. And it made me write a song called On the One because of that little cue that he would do that was famous during the Get Off performance from the 91 MTV Awards. But since you do all the time, yeah, I was like, On the One, I made a whole song where that comes to the chorus. Now, another thing I want to get to, uh, last question for part two we got part three we're going to be covering um the piano and microphone tour and some other things the musicology new jersey show we kind of have that in our notes something to elaborate on that um he prince called me into the, it wasn't uncommon to be uh that i would get a call from uh, concerning the show Either I would have to call on him and actually go in the room and watch some of the um, show with him, which people think, oh, that's great. But if you're touring, <laughs> right, and you wake up on a bus and you go to sleep at 2 yeah. and you get up at 7 or 8 to go in and look at the venue and then you talk with us and then you go back to sleep for a couple hours and then get catered. You know, it's really – it's a different life. And the last thing I want to do at 2.30 is have the bus pull over so that I have to go and get on Prince's bus which was 85 degrees all the time, by the way, parenthetically. Yep. And I would sit there and have to watch a show there. And I say, have to watch it because I didn't want to, I knew what I, I would just, I just experienced it. Why did I need to watch it again? But there was one little thing that he wanted to correct in raspberry beret or something. I would go, okay, man. And I would write it down with my, on my pad and I would leave. So it wasn't always wine and roses. Yeah. Although speaking of wine, he was always at least gracious when I went in the dressing room to, he would always offer a drink, a glass of wine, grapes. And I'd say, no, thanks, man. Or I would, or I would have one because it was, that was part of the process was the enjoyment of seeing w- what he had just done. He liked to look at his painting right after he got done painting it, mm. right? Wet paint. I still want to take a look. So I, I understand that. And that was just his way. But, um, but, uh, that night I got a, you know, Scotty, he wants to see us. So I went in New Jersey and I knocked on the, um, knocked on his door Scotty, come on in. And I came in and he was had a glass of wine. He was watching the show. He had a glass of wine ready, which was cool, handed me the thing, and we were watched for a while. And I remember Chance Howard was uh, uh, Chance was playing something and maybe it was ar- his arpeggiated thing and I would die for you, right? That was arpeggiated on the record. So right. you could hold down a, okay. a key and it would go do 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 right? It would and Chance had to play that live. So Chance had to use two fingers 
those big old fingers of chances. And he would go, digga, 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 digga. And he had a great time and he played it. And we were watching I Would Die For You. And in the middle of it, he turned and he said, this is perfect sound. Wow. And um, and that was all it was really about. He said, I'll make sure you get a copy of this. And I said, cool. And then I walked out with the glass of wine. But that um, that that show in particular, and it, you know, it happened in oh four yeah. but again that i got a lot of shout outs on the pa and for that i'm very um eternally grateful because as i said before to you guys that that is the that he's the he was the mountaintop at least in in live sound because he um uh he cared he really cared that deeply and he wanted everything that was on record to be able to be played live i think dave kind of covered that didn't he yeah, he said, yeah. he talked about that that his his intention when recording was that it has to be able to be played live. So I'm sure he could do a million things as he did. He did a lot of things on the, the symbol record that I, that he couldn't play live that, that were all multi-tracked and, Mm -hmm. and really, really heavy stuff. And I think he, he, he went through that period and then he kind of got back out of it again because he, um, he wanted to be able to play it live, live without the support of all the samples and stuff. And he, um, and that's, but so that kind of compliment didn't go unnoticed. And I remember walking out of there thinking, don't forget about that. Like, don't forget this moment. I've had a few moments in my career that I went, don't just, don't forget about this very moment, as tired as I was. And that was one of them where I said, don't forget. He just said it was perfect sound. That's so cool. And I have like yeah. two, two follow up questions. The first one, was he drinking the red wine through a straw? No, he wasn't. Wow. Because usually he does that a lot, so it doesn't stain his teeth. Interesting. No, I. I, don't, I don't, wouldn't the wine go to the front of your mouth as you're swallowing it, uh, Doc? Come on. We're not well, some girls I'm not, I've dated. Oh lord. Not going to mention names. God. They'll get the red teeth. It depends on the red wine. So maybe they just weren't it drinking it right. You know, Noir doesn't leave red red gums and red teeth, but <laughs> you get into some of those deep calves and some of those <laughs> that that Italian stuff. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna leave. I seen him one time before because they didn't know because sometimes he'd have a straw for whatever drink. I remember it was uh, the 2000 Studio 54 after show when Sheila was there after Larry did a set where Kirk was on drums because John really didn't play with Kirk. So he didn't know his stuff. And then afterwards when Prince came on, John came on. So he's drinking this drink while eating a piece of celery. (laughs) And then he, okay. he 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 puts the cup to Sheila, and then she's like, no. And he's just like, it's Coke. And she still wouldn't take any. But you didn't know. Like, I was like, see, to me, I wouldn't know if it was wine or what. I would think it was Coke or water or whatever, especially through a straw. I think it was tripping. It, it's, it's funny you mentioned the straw because I've aptly described Prince as somebody said, well, what was it about him? Was he always like that? Was he always that cool? Right, because the kind of cool that Morris Day puts on, it's it's put on, and you can see that, right? Yeah. Candidly, it's just put on, and right. and Morris Day would tell you that. Yeah, I, you know, I, it, he's not going to be that way when he's watching a game on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he would say he is, but that's part of the act, right? right. You get it? Right. So Prince, uh, is was he that cool? And the way I described it was, I've never caught him chasing a straw in a drink. <laughs> Like that's never happened. I, I never looked over at him weekend. in twenty in in twenty seven years. I never saw him go like uh <laughs> No. Never trip over a threshold. Right. 
Never. I mean, he was, come on. He was that the same night that he was doing the straw and the drink and the celery? I mean, he was playing piano and had his leg over the guitar playing at the same time. Yeah, so I don't think he ever had to chase a straw, even it. alone, even on his even worst alone. day. The straw would come to him. Now, That's right. <laughs> it float to his lips. And what we're gonna do with this? We're gonna end part two and part three because, and this is how we're gonna do it. Part three, we're gonna be discussing this because. I think it's such a shame that he only has one official live recording out. And we're going to discuss that in the piano and microphone shows and all that because he was talking about Atlanta being released. We're going to get into that. Scotty, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. You got to listen to part three because we're going to be, it's going to be fun, y'all. Thank you so much. Much love. Keep it funky. Thank you.